Hello and welcome to this episode of The Pod Presents Primarily Context-Based. This podcast is a collaboration between CTO Craft and Skillawale, and it was inspired by the Q&A site Stack Overflow. On Stack Overflow, questions have a single right answer and questions can be closed and archived if they're considered primarily opinion-based. Well, we think that the most interesting questions don't have a single right answer and they are primarily context-based. And in this podcast, we're going to take one of those questions, talk about a range of answers, and then the context that makes them appropriate. My name's Howell Carver. I'm the CEO of Skiller Whale. We do deep coaching for tech teams, which is individually personalized, hands-on sessions with a live expert delivered remotely in one-hour chunks. I've been a CTO for the last 10 years or so. I've run CTO dinners for three or more years before the pandemic. I've been a CTO coach. And in all those roles, I've seen that the same questions come up again and again, but with different answers every time, because context is critical. Today, we're going to address the question of being agile and having a roadmap. And I'm joined by Erin Peterson, who is the CTO at Simple Health, an American femtech company. Hi, Erin. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, no, I'm really looking forward to chatting to you. Would you mind sharing a little bit of your background and what you've done as in addition to your role at Simple Health? Sure. So I've worked at uh, big companies and startups, pre-IPO, IPO, been acquired, not acquired. I worked at Amazon when it was very small until Amazon got to be a little bit bigger, but not as big as it is today. I've worked at Microsoft, uh, helping to develop uh, the Bing search engine and the ads engine. I've worked on really big open source projects like Zimbra. And today I'm working at a femtech company working to ensure access to reproductive services in the United States. And I really like this topic that we've landed on to talk about. Maybe we should start by talking about what we mean by those things. Like, what does a roadmap mean, right? If I write down on the back of a napkin, we should build this product. Does that count as a, as a roadmap? I think so. I think so. It's funny. I was giving this some thought this morning and I realized that a lot of the trepidation around creating a roadmap arises from lack of communication or clarity between stakeholders on what exactly a roadmap is. You know, if you were thinking about a roadmap as this is loosely what we're going to get in a year from now, so this is what we're going to communicate to customers are going to get, uh, that's one thing. If you're thinking about it as a list of the, you know, the 15 things that an engineering team is going to deliver every week for the next 52 weeks, that's another thing. So I think it's always important to clarify what a roadmap is. It's almost an unhelpful term, isn't it? Like to me, a roadmap makes me think of an atlas, something that's very fixed. And it tells me, you know, concrete information that when I get to this junction, I can go there to go this way. And actually what I want from a roadmap as someone on the engineering side is not that concrete. I want more like a sat nav that's going to say, actually conditions have changed. And now we should go right here instead of left. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a great descriptor. It's so funny when you started saying, I think of it as an atlas. I thought you were going to go someplace completely different. So I've driven across the United States a few times and I look at an atlas and I think of the roadmap as, all right, I'm leaving Seattle and I'm going to end up in New York. And whether I go through Indiana or Nebraska, it doesn't matter at the beginning. All that matters is I end up in New York, right? And if you're driving across and suddenly, you know, there's unexpected tornadoes in Indiana, you can go south and you can go through Nebraska. You still end up in New York. You still follow the roadmap, right? You were agile in your adaptation of the path you were taking to get there. Yeah, maybe a better comparison is back before the internet when you wanted to go somewhere and you would get the leaflet 
for an attraction somewhere and it would say oh just you know come off junction 11 of this road and then turn right and then you'll come to the farm turn left there don't go to the post office like it's that kind of level of instructions that is the kind of bad roadmap that we typically don't want and i guess we'll talk about why in a second compared to the sat nav where we just say i'm going here let's see how things go along the way yeah oh that that's a very interesting metaphor yeah, it's, a, it's probably a metaphor that our generation is probably like the last one that can appreciate because I suspect now leaflets just say, put it in your set nav and find us. Well, you know, I just made a multi-generational click in my head when you said that because I, I realized something when you said that, which is that you know, if you go back 20 years or you go back 25 years, the only way to get week-to-week visibility into an engineering team's roadmap was to know the program manager and to have them let you into their office so you could see the things tacked on a wall, right? If you were a regular old stakeholder, you had no idea on a week-to-week basis what was going on. And so the communication tools that have allowed engineers to communicate more quickly, I think, have also given rise to this pressure from stakeholders to communicate to a level of fidelity that frankly is not helpful. Mm. That's really, I love that metaphor that you used. I think that's a super interesting point that we're communicating more, but its utility hasn't increased. That, that it's, you can see more detail now, but it's not valuable. And I suppose that then raises the question of what is the point of a roadmap? What value do we want to get out of it? Is it just about what will ship when, or is there more to it than that? It depends, right? And that is where it becomes really important to negotiate with your stakeholders what they need and want to see in a roadmap. And then if necessary, negotiate whether or not that is genuinely useful. So if you're a, uh, an enterprise SaaS company, you know, if you're Oracle and you're delivering developer tools, developer SaaS tools, it's important for you to communicate you know, far enough in advance of when you're going to deliver something that you're going to deliver it and roughly when you're going to deliver it so that other companies' engineering teams can take your milestones into account. If you're a small app team and a small app company and you're going to be shipping relatively small changes into your app that your users may or may not uh, be waiting for, then I, I think the pressure is is very different. And what you communicate in a, in a roadmap is more for internal people to start to make projections around revenue, for example. I should say I come to this from having once very much been strongly anti-roadmaps. And I think it was only when I worked in an organization where we needed to release features so that the the sales team could go to conferences and meet actual people in real life and demo the feature so that people would buy the product that I realized I I was wrong essentially that I was completely wrong about the idea that we could just live without a roadmap and you know release features week to week and actually there were real big commercial implications if we didn't ship that feature on time because you know that trip that had been planned for the conference for six months would be entirely wasted if we couldn't ship feature x interesting how did that shift how you responded to requests for roadmaps? I would say that now I ask the question why a lot, mm. not in a kind of obstructive way, but to, in a way to understand the, the function of the roadmap and what the value is of it for the person. Because if, if they're seeing it as the set of instructions they can rely on in order to plan the future, then that changes how I want to be preparing the roadmap 
Whereas if it's kind of indicative, if it's just, I'd like to know where our focus is at any time. I'd like to have a sense of this thing is going to follow after that thing. That completely shifts how I think about it and how I would go about preparing a roadmap. I was always pro roadmap and couldn't understand people who were uncomfortable with roadmaps until I worked for a company where I had a set of stakeholders that misunderstood something on a roadmap and then all hell broke loose when a milestone was missed. From their perspective, the milestone was missed. From the engineering perspective, well, we delivered what we said, but uh, there was a miscommunication. And what I realized then is that the reason I had always been comfortable with roadmaps is that I'd worked in engineering-centric companies. Like I'd worked at Amazon and I'd worked in Microsoft and I'd worked in startup where people understood the fluidity associated with engineering, particularly big projects on long timelines. And after that, I became much more empathetic to particularly product side stakeholders who were uh, pushing hard for milestones and roadmaps and had a very low level of comfort with engineers coming back and wanting to shift those around. I'm much more empathetic about that pressure now. Yes. And I think it's, it's that link that the roadmap forms part of a kind of an API, right, between the engineering side and the commercial side of an organization. Understanding how people are going to view that API is then really important to serving up the right data through the API. And I think one thing that really helped me was I worked with someone who wanted the roadmap, who was not really willing to explain why it was necessary, but would just tell me it was necessary. And then work with someone who wanted the roadmap, who could help me see the impact of that roadmap on their planning and on their work and what that would mean for their part of the organization. And then it, it becomes much more collaborative. We can say, okay, well, I'm nervous about the, the, the concept, but here is what we can commit to. And that's how we can kind of, you know, work together, be aligned, all of the good things, trust in each other that, that we're kind of on the same page about why we're doing this thing. And I want to enable you. You don't want my team to be under pressure for no good reason. And so we can make this work. Yes, that is roadmap as dogma, right? So that is when someone's asking for roadmap because they've heard they're supposed to ask for roadmap and they feel like Mm. engineers should have to give them a roadmap, but they don't quite understand why they want or need a roadmap. That is the worst kind of roadmap because then also, you know, you'll, in good faith from an engineering perspective, negotiate these milestones. But a person who doesn't understand why they're asking for a roadmap often doesn't know how to clearly identify and articulate the milestone that is genuinely useful to them. And so then you'll work really hard and you'll crunch against these milestones and they'll turn out not to move the needle on the business side or even worse, to have missed the expectations of the business side stakeholder asking for them. Roadmaps as dogma are the worst. That's very agile. And I have this great fear of the roadmap being used to question the team's commitment or the, the sort of efficiency of their work. You know, well, you said that you'd, you'd ship the food product last quarter and it's not happened other team even trying you know i think i think that's totally wrong i suspect you do too but um, getting people to think in a different way is always a challenge yes yes that's the worst and and generally you get that sort of question from a person who believes that software development is always and exclusively about writing code and that the only thing that engineers do is write code and that if a milestone's been missed that what you then have to do is chain your engineering team to their desks and have their you know hands fly across the keyboard writing code. 
And there's no or little understanding that software development really is about having the time to think through the most effective possible solution to deliver to your stakeholders. And when you encounter a stakeholder who pushes that hard and says, well, what were they doing for the last three months? Why isn't this thing here? It just not only sucks the life and joy out of engineering, but I think it also destroys the opportunity to create value for stakeholders and customers. Yes, exactly. It's almost like measuring your team in lines of code written, right? Which mm -hmm. no sensible engineering manager would would consider. Yeah. We've mentioned the, the word agile a couple of times now, and I feel that like we should um, address it head on. Does agile mean that you can forget about planning and and timelines? Does agility mean that you can throw those concepts out of the window? I don't think so. <laughs> That's a sort of agile as dogma too, right? Which is sort of the equivalent mm -hmm. of the engineering side of roadmap as dogma. You know, when I when I think about agile, I think about when and how agile software development practices came to the fore, and it's when we saw a shift in software development from you know having to you know, organize a bunch of engineers for months to ship something, get it printed to a disk, and then get it out to users. And right around, you know, 96, 97, suddenly you could write code and you could have it in front of your users two minutes later, and you could be getting data a minute later back about how your users were engaging with it, right? Like uh, AOL AIM, I think, was the first really big project to be able to do that. And so suddenly... Yeah it became riskier to ship slowly than to ship quickly. And that's where agile software practices really sprang up. Not only did the experience of shipping software out to users change rapidly, but engineers could communicate in real time. You know, prior to roughly 95, the closer you get to real-time communication was bulletin boards or email. And you saw this rise in engineers being able to, to look at data really quickly about their users, communicate about it very quickly, organize amongst themselves what change should happen, and then make that change. And that really is the heart of agile software development. It's that rapid response to changing conditions on the ground. You've reminded me of a story of a, a software agency I know where they were really behind on a project. And so they had to, this was in the sort of old days where their shipping involved putting a CD in the post. And so they put the CD in the post blank sent it to the the client and knew it would take a couple of weeks to get there because it was international post and so then when the client said the cd is blank they said oh okay you know we'll send you another copy and in the meantime they kind of furiously beavered away to finish the project That's brilliant <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but which is much less of an excuse when you can just you know sftp or what like get right. pressure whatever it is that you're using to deploy and move move your software around yeah the point about agile is an interesting one because i think you could read the values of the agile manifesto and argue that each of them is an argument against a roadmap so it, individuals and interactions over processes and tools i think a roadmap is part of a process and part of a tool working software over comprehensive documentation arguably the roadmap is a form of documentation customer collaboration over contract negotiation i mean i think Roadmaps are often the subject of negotiation and then responding to change over following a plan. I think you could look at those and say, all of those things are saying, don't produce roadmaps. But I suspect the answer is think about your roadmap in the right way. Mm -hmm. And think about the fidelity of the roadmap. I just pulled up the Agile Manifesto and I'm looking at that too. And I think that line that we were talking about before around 
when we were talking about the map, right, the, the roadmap literally is a map. You're driving from Seattle to New York City, it's 3,000 miles. The important point is that you're leaving Seattle. Maybe that's not even the important point. Maybe the important point is, hey, I'll be in New York City and I'll be there September 1st. So I'll, I'll meet you in New York on September 1st. And it should not really matter to the person who's meeting you in New York City September 1st, whether you go through Indiana or Nebraska. So I think that somewhere in there, in the push for the fidelity of the milestones, a roadmap transitions from something that is genuinely beneficial and helping orchestrate outcomes to something that becomes a straitjacket and an inhibitor for an engineering team. And ensuring that you don't cross that line to uh, straitjacketing your engineering teams, I think, is an important part of having a roadmap. Mm-hmm. And it's one that engineering leaders, I think, have to be the person to advocate for in an organization because they're the ones who will understand, should understand both sides of that discussion best. Yes. I think the manifesto is right in valuing the former over. The latter. In fact, I think there might be some caveat in there about the latter still having some value. The, the point is we want roadmaps that enable interactions between individuals and like let us produce the right working software and respond to change. But that doesn't mean we can't have a plan. We just have to be willing to adapt the plan and to change it and communicate about it, right? That's the core of this. It's almost like the roadmap is a like best guess or it's a kind of a communally agreed on approximation for what's going to happen and when the world changes will change the roadmap rather than doggedly sticking to it. Yes, that uh, the roadmap should benefit all stakeholders in achieving the best possible outcome. And that includes engineers. And, you know, a, a second best case for an engineering team is that they're able to negotiate with stakeholders to have adequate buffer time built into a roadmap. But the best case for an engineering team is that they're working with stakeholders to align the outcomes the engineering team is able to get to with what is being delivered to other stakeholders and where engineers have a seat at the table and they're active and constant and real-time partners with other stakeholders about what's coming out when. The reason that that's the best possible outcome for an engineering team is that sometimes Uh, an engineering team will be working on something and they'll realize that they've delivered something else that is valuable to stakeholders that was not on the original roadmap. And if there's that active ongoing set of conversations with stakeholders, the engineers can say, oh, by the way, you can also now do this too, in addition to this thing you asked for. And if if you've got that ongoing conversation, business side stakeholders can harvest the value for that. An example is that at Simple Health recently, we've been working on uh, de- delivering, uh, as, as everyone in the industry is, delivering additional pharmaceuticals to our patients. When we've built against a set of requirements for one specific sort of pharmaceutical, that opened up the opportunity for us to put other medical services in front of our patients. And because the, the engineering team and the business team are working so closely together, the business side stakeholders have been willing to say, oh, well, wait a second, like maybe we can offer this other service to our patients faster than we thought we could because of the way that this thing has been built. 
So that is the best possible outcome of a roadmap is that people are having those active conversations with engineers. Right. And then, in fact, the changes to the roadmap are are actively good things. You're like bringing forward things that are valuable to the customer. I guess it sounds like both engineering and non-engineering teams are involved in that and hopefully both are excited about it as well. Right, right. And that completely goes out the window if a roadmap is being used in a punitive way or in a way that ties engineers to their desks to hit milestones of too high a, a degree of granularity. It leads the engineers to not want to take on the risk of saying to people, oh, by the way, you get this thing too, because the ad engineering team knows that six months from now, somebody will say, well, you don't need four weeks in your roadmap. You only need two, because last time I gave you four weeks and you gave me two things, one of them I didn't even want. And it becomes a punitive exercise. That's a terrible outcome for stakeholders. Yeah. I, I think of this often as the difference between a project and a product that with a project, you have a very specific end in mind. And so the the managing of a project is about working at how we get to the end and the milestones along the way, and then checking that we're going to hit them. There's a danger that a roadmap can be perceived in that way. Where the managing of a product, mm-hmm. I think, is inherently iterative. It's about sensing and responding to to what you discover about your your stakeholders or about your user base. And therefore, the sort of iteration is built in and the the model is much more of kind of continuous feeling your way towards what's most valuable rather than the eventual goal and the project being complete. Yes. One of the things that's interesting about that distinction is that allows customers and users to be active participants in that ecosystem. And what I mean by that is if an engineering team is working against a plan that they have to hit over the next 12 months, no matter what, and 12 weeks into the plan, they're observing that users are really excited about a feature or a family of features, but everybody says, well, we can't get to that until you know next year because the roadmap's already booked out. You miss that opportunity to take advantage of what users are teaching you about your system and about what users want to go. I like that explanation that you offered. Have you ever come across situations where you'd maintain multiple roadmaps, maybe at different levels of fidelity for internal and external use? Yes. And uh, there's an example that I think is really interesting around that. I used to work for a company called Cinecore that was responsible for the Zimbra open source email and office collaboration project. And I was aware of at least five roadmaps. There was the roadmap that was produced for the marketing team to work with the sales team and our enterprise customers. There was the roadmap that was put together in general by the open source developer community so that the developers themselves could organize their work amongst each other. There was our private roadmap because we had an engineering team that offered Zimbra as a SaaS service. And then there were at least two other competitor roadmaps of other teams that were building quite effectively on top of the open source project. And when we were building our marketing roadmap, I needed to take into account the balance between what had to be in the open source developers roadmap that was being used by these three competing engineering and product teams. So I was constantly aware of all these roadmaps, both as the person who was responsible for product engineering for our 
private company, our private repos, and also as the person who is responsible for shepherding the open source project itself. And so there was multiple sets of roadmaps that I had awareness of that I took into account when I would direct the open source community's development efforts. I mean, maintaining that sounds like a nightmare that when one thing, you know, it's, it's the duplication of, of information that makes me scared there. I mean, were there tensions as well between the roadmaps that a developer with awareness of the internal one might let slip on a forum somewhere about something and then people who can only see the public one are enraged? Does that situation happen? Oh, yes, of course. And also the, the, the corollary situation happened where I would know that multiple teams were working on competing features, but they were so sure that they were the only teams working on that feature that they didn't want to contribute it to the open source community roadmap, even though doing so would have accelerated outcomes for all stakeholders. And so in those cases, I would just uh, I would just wait for it to become apparent to the engineering teams as they shipped projects and decided when and where they wanted to coordinate efforts through the open source project. And as a general guidance, do you think it's correct that like is an internal facing roadmap probably higher fidelity? Maybe it looks further into the future, but is also much more subject to change than an external one? Is that the right way to think about them? Or do you think they differ in other ways? I think that's true. I've also observed that frequently there are multiple internal roadmaps. So I've observed that engineering teams might have their own sense of a roadmap within their feature team. And they're not necessarily sharing that roadmap with internal stakeholders. And often that arises when there's been a breakdown in trust and that engineering team either has lost trust or hasn't built trust with their business side stakeholders. And so the team will uh, pad or um, sort of obfuscate some of their milestones to ensure that they can meet stakeholder expectations. So even internally within companies, I often see multiple roadmaps. Mm, Interesting. I think one of the other distinctions is probably about company maturity in that when you're very early as a company, I suspect you need some kind of roadmap, but it's going to be very kind of flexible and subject to change because of the the high levels of uncertainty when you're starting out doing something new compared with when you are much more established and much more is known about the world you're operating in. You can have more more certainty both about how long things will take because you've got more kind of history to build on and about the thing that you're selling because you probably have greater market understanding and analysis. Yes. And when you're a small company, very few external companies are taking dependencies on you, particularly if you're a SaaS or a developer tools company. You, know, If you buy a product from a small company or you subscribe to a service from a small company, you have an expectation that the the experience is going to be different. Future development is going to be different. But if you're, you know, betting on the development of a new mobile device, for example, and you're orchestrating a, a large, complicated application to be developed for a new mobile device, you're really not giving that hardware team, that mobile device team, a lot of room to miss their roadmap that they've communicated to you. So as you get bigger and as you become more prominent in any given ecosystem, the need for having 
a reliable roadmap, I think, goes up. Yeah, yeah. And I think it comes down to the question of externalities and the need for the roadmap as well, because if it's internal, it's often just guiding individuals' work for the next week. And as soon as it's communicated with people who are more distant from the work, there are often complications, external factors that have to be have to be brought in. My wife works in publishing, and one of the things in publishing is you have to reserve time for the factory to produce the book that you're creating. And so you just have to hit that deadline. If, if not, the factory has nothing to produce for a week and your book doesn't get made. I was thinking about something as you were saying that, which is there's becomes then an art to book selection, right? You don't want to book time for a book that turns out not to have been worth the time. And you don't want to have missed a book that turns out to be great because you didn't realize it quickly enough. And I had a conversation with someone recently who was asking me, they were a non-technical executive leader. And they said, how do I recognize really great engineering leaders or really great product leaders? And what I said was that if you're hiring an executive level CTO or CPO, a product leader, a technical leader, one of the best indicators is the quality of people who have followed them from job to job to job. By the time you're a senior leader, they're really great people who are, if you're a good leader, they're really great people who follow you from job to job. Not every job, but you have this sort of troop of people that you can tap into and who will follow you. And what I was thinking about as you said that is that if you as a non-engineering leader, for example, as a product leader, or even as a sales leader, if you've demonstrated to a set of engineers that you responsibly, incredibly handle that roadmap that they give you and that you create that buffer with non-technical stakeholders, great engineers will follow you and great engineering leaders will follow you because those business side folks who are capable of managing a roadmap in a responsible manner are hard to come by. They're worth their weight in gold. Yeah, that's true. Interesting. I've never thought of that as a as a kind of a signal to look for. Have you had much experience with some of the tools that exist around roadmaps? I'm I'm aware of companies that make products specifically designed for developing a roadmap. And I'm wondering some of the ones I've seen look like they're they're kind of contemplating a roadmap is quite a static thing. And I'm wondering if even using a tool for that and having that distance that something lives outside the, the company has in some way indicates that it is more more fixed and more certain in a way that roadmaps maybe shouldn't be. Yes. I, uh, I think you know, I've been working in software development for over 25 years now. I think I've seen almost every tool and every generation of roadmap tool that's been made available to various people. The tools that engineers use shape the software development experience and the joy and effectiveness with which people develop software to a degree that I think is often underestimated. And that is a fantastic point that you raise about some of the roadmap development tools themselves creating a situation in which a roadmap is expected to be created to a, a degree of granularity and with a degree of fidelity that ties to or pulls directly from repos and engineering tools and engineering project tools. And that would seem to me to create a situation that doesn't let engineers perform at their best. It sucks out that room that we were talking about before for engineers to 
have that additional time or that that ability to go off-road from the roadmap, sometimes to accelerate a schedule, sometimes to deliver something better. It just, it removes that opportunity. Yeah. And I think that creativity actually is something we mm-hmm. we don't talk about so much in engineering. And I think from the outside, it doesn't look like a very creative profession. Um, mm. I have a friend who wrote a book about whether or not software engineering was just like building a house after a non-technical person said, just tell me when it will be finished. I asked them to come and build my house. They can tell me why can't an engineer. And I think that creativity often has so much opportunity built into it. It's it's the fun mm-hmm. part of, of writing software, I think, thinking of the five ways of doing something and settling on one and realizing actually you should have done it a different way. It's, it's kind of interesting, kind of fun, but also is the thing that can lead to your software being easy to maintain and easy to add to and easy to make excellent for your users. Yes. It also reduces technical debt, I think, also, or at least allows everybody to become aware of you know, where engineers have added technical debt just to hit sort of this randomly assigned milestone. Yeah. Essentially, we want engineering to be a sort of self-healing pursuit where there's a problems get created, but they also then get fixed later on, right? which I think is the the best approach to technical debt. Erin, I want to say thank you so much for joining us for this episode. I've super enjoyed this chat and I hope it's given food for thought to everyone listening. Thank you so much for having me.